So what happens when some backpackers decide it would be fun to do a motorcycle trip across the U.S.? Well, you can probably guess. Today, two travelers cross over from two feet to two wheels. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manning. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Sean Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. So Sandra and Fiona, Sandra had only ridden a motorcycle to get to work just for transportation. It meant nothing to her other than that. Fiona had not ridden at all. Then Sandra gets this idea to to kick off a round-the-world trip by backpack by doing a motorcycle trip across the U.S. Two up. Then they go backpacking. But it didn't take long before they were hooked on the motorcycle. Okay. So my name is Sandra Stelliger. I'm from Germany originally, but I left when I was 16 and spent the rest... um, well, I don't want to say all my life, sorry, but <laughs> spent the next 10 years in the UK working. And um, I quit my job in 2017 just to travel the world. And um, then I met Fiona and I guess we ended up going on this round the world adventure together. And um, previous to that, I was working for 10 years in IT and finance. Um, and yeah, I was pretty pretty happy to leave that behind. We basically literally have quit uh, working completely and we've just been um, just living on the road, traveling the world since um, 2018. By motorbike. And yeah, we haven't really done any work along the way. So we're very much just um, <laughs> trying to keep going as long as we can. I'm, my name's Fiona Cheng. Uh, I was born in the UK. I was previously a health and safety manager in utilities, but then we quit our job. Well, I quit my job in 2018 and then we started off backpacking. And since April 2019, we've been on the motorbike. Sandra, Fiona, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thank you. So you're sort of held up right now from your travels. You're, you're sitting in the UK. A little bit, yes. We actually run into some troubles because of Brexit, because Fiona could only spend 90 days in um, in the in Europe. And our plan was to spend the whole winter in Morocco. So we don't use up too much of her days before we could sort of continue um, with our trip. And then as we reached France, the borders basically closed that we couldn't cross and we were sort of left with Spain and Portugal which was really lovely because we had a great time riding but then eventually um, Fiona had run out over 90 days so we had to fly back for three months to the UK which is why we are held up at the moment. (laughs) Now do you find this um, has COVID really messed things up for you or has it just changed things? Is it um, it still an adventure still just as the same sort of um, fun, I guess, that it, than, that it was for you before COVID hit? I think for me, it has just changed things because actually it's 
like changed all our routes and plans, but we have still managed to continue to travel. And uh, actually, it's probably brought a bit more adventure for us because I managed to get a motorbike license mm. in the time. And because we were in Europe, which meant it was more expensive, we decided to start camping, which was another experience in itself. And uh, I would say that it actually brought us more opportunities. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it, I would definitely say it wasn't as exciting as if we had continued down South America in terms of that experience. But I think a lot of other doors have opened and uh, we just sort of had to adapt to the situation. But now we're on two bikes. So yeah, that so would have, yeah. You're on two bikes now. It didn't start out that way. I mean, I want to start at the beginning for you, Sandra. Mm-hmm. You're the first one to get on a motorcycle. How do you end up on a motorcycle? So I used to have a naked bike, um, a small naked bike that I had in London for um, about, oof, I don't know, maybe six years. But you need to understand the reason I had a motorbike was that I didn't like getting on the tube. So I only ever rode it sort of between zone one and two. I'd never been on a trip. I've never ridden it for longer than an hour at a time. So for you, it was a, it was a mode of transportation. It was nothing more. Uh, yeah, it was really, I mean, obviously I enjoyed it, but it was, you know, I had never, ever been on a bike for longer than an hour. Um, and then I think, and also what you need to know is that initially it was just around the world trip and the motorbikes of came in afterwards. Hold on, hold on. Sorry. Yeah. Sandra, l- l- let me stop you there for a second. Now, hang on. You, yeah. you, we were talking about riding your motorcycle. You're riding a motorcycle for transportation. Then you just said all of a sudden around the world trip. How do you all of a sudden decide that you want to do a round the world trip? So, I mean, it was always around the world trip, but it was going to be backpacking. And then what happened is I um, wanted to start with the USA just because um, I mean, I have traveled a lot, but I just haven't spent so much time in the US and especially on the West Coast. And I thought it would be super fun to somehow do it on a motorbike. So I started looking into how can I make this happen? And it was really just for, you know, our, I mean, for our visa was three months, you know, that's how, how long you can spend in the US. And I thought, okay, um, what do I need to do so I can ride across the US for three months? And then the idea was to sell the motorbike, continue backpacking. But like one or two weeks into the ride, it was obvious that we were going to continue with the bike. Yeah, we fell in love with it. Fiona, where do you come in on the motorcycle scene here? Oh, uh, well, actually during this time, so she, uh, Sandra had already decided that she was going to uh, ride across the US on a motorbike. And actually, this is when we actually met. Um, and she asked whether I would um, join on the Around the World trip. And I I said yes, because our first date went so well. <laughs> <laughs> and everything just moved very fast after that. And um, I've always, always loved motorbikes, adrenaline, adventure, stuff like this, and traveling. So traveling on a motorbike was a, a no-brainer for me, to be honest. And uh, I always want to get my motorbike license, but all friends and family are always like, you know, it's dangerous and everything like this. But I eventually got it only last year. <laughs> Fiona, you just said first date. Y- you mean to say you go on your first date and then you're going to travel the world with somebody? That's good enough for you? <laughs> it was a very long first date. <laughs> I did ask on the second date whether or not she could um, imagine quitting her job and coming on the wrong trip, um, round the world trip. And she said, yes, why I not? <laughs> I, I wasn't loving my job at the time, so you probably didn't have to ask me twice. 
let, let me jump back here because what I'm interested in is that motivation for the round the world trip first, mm-hmm. like where that comes from. And maybe before we get into that, I, I want to talk a little bit about your travel before, because I, I, I kind of think you've always been a traveler, haven't you? I mean, when did you start? Oh, I, I think, um, I think my first sort of backpacking trip I did when I was 16 years old. <laughs> I've always, always loved traveling. Well, what, at 16, what is your impetus for getting on the road? Uh, do, you, do you come from a family where everyone travels a lot? No, funny enough. I mean, my, my parents do go on holidays a lot, but they are from Germany and they only ever sort of travel to the countries that directly border Germany. And then um, I, I left home really early. I left when I was um, just before my 17th birthday and I moved to the UK. And initially it was just going to be for a gap year, right? So the plan was just to come, learn how to speak English and then go back. But I just got a job, was really enjoying myself and then went on my first little backpacking trip. And then, um, yeah, and then I sort of caught the travel bug, I guess. Well, is, and is that, be, is that through school that you did that? Was that sort of a student exchange or something? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it wasn't directly organized by the school, but it was in, in that sense where you sort of spend a year just studying abroad and then you're supposed to come back. I just never, <laughs> I just never did. Well, that first backpacking trip, why do you decide to go on that? Is it friends or what is it? Okay, this was very random, but I think I was at an airport and I met this um, random person, which was was really nice. They just missed um, their plane. So we spent the whole night chatting and um, he was sort of living in between Israel and um, Florida, where his um, parents were from. Um, and he always said, oh, you should come and visit in Florida. And I said, yeah, sure, one day, you know, but I didn't take it seriously. And then one day he said that his sister had sort of um, picked up these free tickets for a cruise to the Bahamas, which you know, sounds too good to be true. I later found out it was sort of this gambling boat and you just sort of pay the tax and they're trying to get you hooked on gambling. But I didn't, all I could think of is like, my God, like Bahamas, it sounded so exotic to me at the time. This is after uh, you've met him, you sort of kept in contact? Yeah. So we just met him at the airport. The invitation was always there to visit sometime in Florida. And then, and then uh, he sort of mentioned that his sister had these tickets to go on this cruise to the Bahamas and she had four tickets. And would I like to come? And I found a really cheap flight at the time. I think it was something like 300 euros, you know, from Germany return flights to Florida. And I just thought, okay, this is meant to be. And I just like, um, I mean, it's a bit random to fly, um, you know, to like a completely, other continent to meet this complete stranger that you just sort of spent one day with and decided to go traveling together. But we had a really nice time. I met his family. We just did this big road trip, sort of having this really lovely time with complete strangers. But it kind of fueled the the whole, um, yeah, the, the travel bug, I guess. And then since then, I started, you know, just to really wanting to explore, especially going further afield and seeing places on other continents and flying to Asia and flying to Africa and just experiencing other cultures. And I just spend every holiday, I think every year on average, I would go on like one longer long haul holiday, two shorter ones and a few weekend trips. And I saw a lot, but then I thought I'd have to keep going for a very, very long time to actually see the world, although I'm already traveling so much. And then I thought, no, I need to somehow, you know, somehow be able to do this permanently to just, you know, keep going and really see the world and not just sort of live for my holidays. 
what are you getting from it? What are you after when you're when you're on a trip? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I I love everything about it. First of all, I love being in hot countries. Um, hot countries, okay. <laughs> yeah, not the not the UK. So I'm really desperate for us to get out of Europe. But I really, really love being in hot countries, and um, and I love experiencing new cultures. Um, just getting to know the people, you know, other foods and, and just learning about, you know, how life is for other people on the other side of the world. And, um, I, I just, I just feel like the experiences you get are so rewarding from traveling the world. Um, that for me, it's really always been the mo- the most important thing of my life to, you know, if you ask me like, what's the one thing you want to achieve in life? I, I would have always said, I just want to travel the world. And if I've seen the world by the time, you know, I die, I'll, I'll be happy. I, th- I think you'd said the, the more you travel, the more you realize how little you've, you've experienced mm-hmm. something along That's those lines. True. Yes. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, just like I was saying, I just felt that I was always, you know, looking forward to the next holiday. And I've all, I always had holidays booked out pretty much for the, for the whole year. But there were always so many more places I wanted to go than I was going to. And then obviously, when you have a limited amount of time, there's only, you know, there's only so much time you can spend. So, you know, you had to ask yourself, am I going to be going to Asia for three and a half weeks and take maybe five flights and try to see, you know, all the highlights across different countries. Am I going to spend all this time in one country, but actually properly experience it? And um, yeah, there just never seemed to be enough time. So I think I, I in the beginning, I just felt like, wow, I'm seeing so much. But then I think the more I traveled, I realized that how little I had actually seen. I mean, even now I haven't even seen half you know, the countries, let alone, you know, obviously just because you visit a country doesn't mean you've seen everything. A lot of people say that actually to us when they just go, oh, you've been traveling for so long. You've like, you know, what do you do when you finish seeing the the world? And we're like, we've always said that there's always so much to see and that that will never, well, I think we'll carry on going round and round and revisiting the countries, even though we've been to it. Because like Sandra said, we we never completely finish seeing a whole country. When you're done a, a trip and you come back, do you get some sort of closure from it? Is there is there something where you come back feeling you've accomplished something? I mean, first of all, we don't do this where we sort of go away and then come back. Well, well I'm I'm thinking more of when you were younger, when you when you were like, oh, when with, with these early backpacking trips, like when you're coming back from them. Are you saying, mm-hmm. okay, that feels really good? I've accomplished this, and I and I feel like you know I've got you know some sort of accomplishment, some sort of closure on that, or does it leave you open ended? I, I think I just wanted more, just left me hungry for more. And I was thinking, why can't this be my life every day? You know, which is what, what it became afterwards. But I think that that was mostly it. I never felt closure in the sense that I always felt that there was always a reason to return and see more things and discover, discover it in a different way. And, you know, even now I feel that um, if I haven't been somewhere on a motorbike, have I really been there? <laughs> because it's, it's, just, it's just such a different experience on a motorbike. So not definitely not closure, just like really, really like, I guess, happy and hungry to explore more, more places, you know? So it's like cocaine. 
You Maybe. Know, you, yeah. you're, just you looking, you're, you're looking for <laughs> right. You're, you're just looking for the, the next, uh, the next, the next adventure that makes you feel great, and, and, you, and you're living that way. That, that's what you're really after, then. Yes, and I have to say, ever since I actually quit my job and we went on this adventure, I sort of, um, sort of lost that rush of, you know, oh, I need to see so many more countries, you know, because I sort of almost like embracing slow travel now where I'm thinking we're so fortunate and so lucky that we should really like take our time and really see the places that we are actually traveling to. Mm -hmm. Fiona, how about you? Where, Where do you start with travel? Uh, so my parents have always, uh, taken us on family holidays ever since from like a young age. Um, my dad used to work, uh, a lot, but every now and then we would have like a family holiday. So I guess it started with this. And when I was about 14 or something, my parents used to leave me alone and they, they used to go off on their little adventures cause, uh, they would go two weeks here or a few weeks or a month uh, away. And I always wanted this. I always wanted to to travel more and I obviously enjoyed the family holidays um but as I got older maybe when I was like 18 so when I got into uni started going on holiday with like friends and stuff like this and I loved it I knew I always wanted to keep going on holidays so I never went on longer trips uh, like Sandra did it was more of a short week or the maximum 10 days, two weeks, because I could actually never get time off work um, for so long to go on like a three week uh, trip, um, so to say. But I always had all of these places that I really wanted to go to. You would see places like online and then I'd mark them down and be like, oh, that'll be the next trip. Um, so I think maybe I got a bit of it from like my parents because they still travel a lot. Um but obviously in a different, in a different style, <laughs> different way um, as to what I'm doing now. So um, I think a lot of it was probably instilled from my parents. They might regret it now when I go, oh yeah, I'm going to quit my job and we're going to travel forever. <laughs> um, but yes, I think there's definitely a bit from them and uh, I just continued, I guess. What were you after on, on your trips when you're traveling? Is it, is it laying on the beach? What are you, what are you uh, after? No, so still experience like the cultures, um, meeting people, uh, food is very important <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, so I, I love to just explore and wander around and, and get lost. Um, I guess I had to learn when uh, we started our long-term traveling to just slow down because I never had such a long trip. So when we first went to Asia, I... Uh, I always wanted to have a plan and something like this. And that's probably something that comes quite naturally to me. But I love the fact that you feel so free whilst you're traveling now um, without a plan, I guess. Just time to get lost and everything like this. I remember when actually we, I think our first uh, destination in Asia was the Philippines. Mm. Um, And Fiona asked, like, where are we staying? Have we booked somewhere? And to me, it was clear we just arrive and then figure that out when we arrive. And that was really, I think that was uncomfortable for you. It was uncomfortable for me at the time. And it took me a while to to get used to it. Uh, The only reason why I got more used to it was um, we actually booked some internal flights and Sandra booked the wrong, well, the wrong date for us. And then I realized, oh, actually, we're just wasting so much money by booking the wrong date that uh, I just relaxed into not booking anything. And now when people go, 
oh, where are you staying for the night? And it's like 4 p.m. We kind of don't know. And uh, that's very normal for us now. That's kind of the difference between being a, a traveler or, or being on vacation, isn't it? Because like, yes. when you're on vacation, you have that yeah. time constraint there. And you, you've got to be, let's, let's face it, you, you've got to have a schedule. Mm-hmm. It only makes yes. sense to have a schedule. But when you don't have a, you don't have a deadline, you don't have to worry about scheduling, you know, and, and I think that's the, the real difference. We're going to take just a quick break while I tell you about a couple of things. But when we come back, Fiona and Sandra are going to explain how they finance this adventure and why it makes it that they have no deadline that they have to meet. Back in uh, March 2019, we had a couple on the show that uh, they traveled the world two up on a KTM 640 adventure. It was Heidi and David Winters. Now, it was on that trip that David broke his wrist while he was riding. Anyway, um, so David's trying to ride his bike because he's the rider of the bike. Heidi's the pillion. He's got a broken wrist and, and he's trying to use a throttle lock. And I think he had the one that, that sort of screws onto the end of the handlebar. But anyway, it was a real pain for him. Drove him nuts. When they got back, he was set to find a better throttle lock. Couldn't find it. So he decides to make his own, which is what he did. He invented the Atlas throttle lock. It is an amazing, beautifully crafted piece of equipment that clamps onto your handlebar. It's got two buttons on it. They both work in a firm, positive way that give you the just the full feedback. It always makes me think of Apple products because it gives you the full feedback that you want when you're engaging or disengaging. It is a beautiful piece of equipment. And if you don't know what a throttle lock is, it doesn't lock your throttle so someone doesn't steal your bike. It holds your throttle position so you can relax your hand and wrist and arm. And it, it makes riding so much nicer. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops makes all kinds of lighting products, especially designed for us riders. From auxiliary lighting to LED headlights to specialty things like their Evo safety turn signals. These I love. Um, I have them on my bike. The Evo safety turn signal inserts, um, they, they replace your stock turn signals front and back. And, you know, most, most stock to turn signals, they only come on when you put your signal on. They're not actually driving lights. So these become driving lights in the front. They're super bright white driving lights. In the back, they're red. Uh, in the front, they turn orange and become signals when you put your signal on. And in the back, they also signal, but when you they, uh, they signal in red and they come on with your brakes and they are stunningly bright. Like talk about seeing, being seen. These things punch holes through the darkness and they command attention in the daytime. So making drivers aware of you is obviously a huge part of road safety. The Evo safety turn signal inserts. I'm going to give you the website for it. While you're there at the website, have a look at the Cyclops Adventure Sports Aurora 2-inch auxiliary lights. These little things, these are small enough to fit just about anywhere on any bike because a lot of bikes you have trouble fitting the lights in. These little things will fit in anywhere and they are powerhouses. Great for daytime awareness and stunning on a dark road. CyclopsAdventureSports.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CyclopsAdventureSports.com. If you ride an adventure bike, your foot pegs should be important to you. For comfort on the road, for grip on the dirt, they need to be ultra tough, yet designed specifically for how you ride. IMS Products has been making motorcycle parts since 1976. And over those years, 
IMS has become well-known in the race pits uh, around the world because racers want the best. And now us adventure riders can have that too through IMS products and their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. They're designed specifically for your style of riding. They've got different models to choose from. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Hey, so so back to that that first trip, you, Sandra. You, you're planning to do this this round around the world trip, mm-hmm. um, and then you meet Fiona. So you'd already <laughs> got you've, you'd already at this point decided to start with the motorcycle trip across the U.S. Is that how it happened? Yeah. So what, what I'd done by that point is I started speaking to um, someone that I'd met ten years previously for a day in London, and we had just sort of connected on Facebook. And I constantly saw pictures of him on an adventure bike. Um, didn't really know anything about adventure bikes, but he was always riding them. And um, I wrote him and I said, I was thinking about, you know, sort of visiting the US and I thought, should I do it on a motorbike? Um, what do you think? And um, actually he, um, well, he basically sold me my, my first bike, which was a BMW F800 TS. So, you know, because this is a kind of also, again, like a bit of a stranger, you know, I'd only met him like 10 years ago and we'd barely been in touch. I just, we saw each other's pictures sometimes pop up on Facebook. And I remember there was someone that, you know, I might meet up with when I, when I cross, cross the US. And then, um, I actually, you know, he, he just happened to have this bike which I thought, you know, with no experience would be a good motorbike. Um, I remember committing to the sale and then thinking, oh, I better go and ride this bike. So I uh, just after buying it off him, organized to go on a test ride here in the UK. And then I was like, Oof, okay, at least I know what I got myself into. And um, yeah. Now that the bike was, you bought is in the US. That's why you're test it, riding in the UK. Yeah, as you yeah get it was... It, Exactly. And then, and then we were getting ready to, to leave around August and the plan, you know, by that time, the plan was already, you know, to go from Alaska to Patagonia because, you know, I was thinking USA. Then Fiona came in the picture and we said, Oh, if we like it, why not try to see if we could ride it into South America? I I to go to Alaska. Um, and she goes, Oh, we might as well go down to Patagonia then. So yeah. it kind of just kept growing. <laughs> it, it just kept growing. And then so by August, we, we said, Okay, we're going to pick up this bike. We'll go up to Alaska. And then sort of we, we, we start all, you know, going south. But then I had a motorbike crash in London on my naked bike. Mm. This is before you left the UK. You, you haven't actually got on your trip yet. Right before mm-hmm. you leave in the UK, you, yeah. you get in an accident. Mm-hmm. And um, then I broke my pelvis in that accident in about four places. Wow. So it was kind of a bit... <laughs> what happened? Oh, um, right. So I, you know, no one will ever know the true story because I have no recollection of what happened and there have been no witnesses but more or less I was riding um, around London I was just going into town to meet a um, friend uh, for lunch and it was just like a really nice sunny day and I'm perhaps I, well I, I know I was going a little bit too fast but essentially the street ahead of me was completely empty and then someone had pulled out because what they wanted to do is they wanted the street was empty they wanted to do a u-turn but they couldn't because on the other side of the road was you know sort of traffic so basically the van pulls out in front of me and i went straight into his door um yeah maybe if i would have you know gone slower i would have been able to break in time but um that's a tough one because you're traveling along this van just all of a sudden 
just decides to boot out in front of you and blocks your path. Yeah. And the only thing that I remember is being really surprised, like, where did this come from, the van? And I was very conscious that there was no way that I could break in time, but I didn't have enough time to get scared properly and think, you know, oh my God, I'm about to have an accident. So I, I just sort of remember this bit of, I cannot break in time. And then, and then I don't remember anything of the accident, you know? And the next thing I knew was that I basically woke up in hospital. Um, it was quite, well, I was, you know, had broken my pelvis in four places and I was sort of bruised up all over, but it was mainly just, just the pelvis really. And then, um, yeah, and that obviously changed our travel plans quite significantly because we were, we were both in May. Oh, you, yeah, you just said just oh, yeah. upheld this. <laughs> like this is this is huge, major, major, major. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm saying this because they they um, they asked to contact a family member and they called my sister in front of me and they said, don't come just yet because she needs to have a bunch of surgeries. I didn't know what kind of surgeries, but they assumed that, you know, I needed, I needed some surgeries and then, um, and then I didn't need any, you know? So for me, I was like, this is good. <laughs> so so th this is obviously a very, very big accident. Um, a lot of damage, a lot of recovery time. You were in a mm -hmm. wheelchair. You spent time in a wheelchair before mm -hmm. you, you could get out of that and start to walk again. What's your thoughts about motorcycling at this point? So this was really hard because I was really unsure at this point whether or not I was going to be able to ride it again. Number one, number two, the 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 GS was. I mean, was it was a very big and intimidating bike compared to me just riding on this little naked bike that I had around London. So you know, it was can I ride again? And also I was wondering, is it going to hurt, you know, after doing that much damage to my pelvis and I couldn't foresee how well I would recover from it. So there was no way of knowing how we'd feel. And, um, by that time, I mean, when Fiona visited me in hospital, bear in mind, that, that was, was our third date. That was only our third date. Okay. So, so that's your third date in the hospital? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so things have been moving very fast. It wasn't meant to be there. It was actually meant to be on the Greek islands, but that never happened on the third date. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, it was the, oh, the third, third date, I see, it was meant to be on the Greek yeah. islands. So we, on, because, because on the second date, we, we basically booked our first holiday together. So it was meant to be on this Greek island, but instead I was in hospital and Fiona met me at the hospital. Oh, and again... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the fourth date, I buy a wheelchair to wheel her out of the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I know that's true. That's true. But by this time, I mean, regards to your questions, how did I feel? I think I was just really honest. And I said to Fiona, I just do not know how I'm going to feel. And I think we can, you know, I can obviously have to do a lot of physio, but we still said we will go as soon as I can. But then what we said is, you know, we'll just do it for a couple of weeks. If it doesn't feel comfortable, or cards or yeah, then we'll just go back to backpacking, you know, we just, we, we then sort of, you know, we, we, it went from me wanting like this three months trip to us saying, you know, why don't we do Alaska to Patagonia to me of, and Fiona then sort of saying, well, we'll just do it for a couple of weeks and we decide then. And that's mm -hmm. what we did. How in love with the motorcycle as, as a motorcycle were you at this point, or was it still sort of a mode of transportation? This was just going to be a new way for you to travel around. 
Oh yeah, I mean, it was. If I'm really honest, it was really still like a mode like of transformation. Transport. Um, yeah. yeah, transportation. Sorry. Um, yeah, at, the, at this point, we just thought it'd be so much more fun riding on a motorbike than being stuck in a car. But it was very much getting from from A to B. And honestly, that's something that changed fairly recently. You know that mm-hmm. um, that we sort of said actually we enjoy riding off road. We like looking for you know off road adventures and such things. And, at the beginning of the trip, again, was just a mode of transport. And now, like you just said a few minutes ago, that now you say that if you haven't been to a country by motorcycle, then you feel like you haven't really explored. So the motorcycle now, you've sort of, you sort of transformed who you are as a traveler then from when you started. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I'll give you an example because we have... Um, we couldn't go to Morocco as planned this winter, so we spent a lot of time in Spain. I mean, I have traveled extensively through Spain. Um, I, f- I felt like I've been everywhere, but I've never been there on a motorbike. And then we, f- I mean, I didn't know there were like, deserts in, yeah, <laughs> in Spain and we just found all this incredible terrain in the mountains. And it honestly, like if it just was a completely, it felt to me like I'd never ever been to that country before. Um, it's a different experience. It's completely different, especially the off-road rides. But I mean, just being able to experience that just, I mean, didn't feel like Spain. And I was thinking, how come that I've spent, I mean, I probably spent over a month traveling through Spain and it just, just felt so different. So you're, you're seeing different places. You're seeing places you haven't seen before. The motorcycle is giving you access to that. And, and there's also a feeling that you get from riding the bike, that, that, that experience, you're, you're sort of experiencing your adventure differently. Is that what you're saying? Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, you feel more within it. Um, and I think I didn't understand that until I got onto the bike but on we eventually got to Greece at one point uh, but maybe two of the islands we had to rent a car and the days we got a car I was driving because Sandra doesn't have a license (laughs) (laughs) and she just kind of like zoned out and she got really quiet and I was like are you okay and I kept asking are you okay and then she just goes it's just not beautiful outside and I was like it's stunning outside it looks amazing because uh, I'm used to driving in the car because I didn't have a motorbike license at this point I, I, I didn't say it wasn't beautiful outside. she just couldn't experience I was, it the I same felt way. sad that we couldn't experience it on two wheels I didn't <laughs> I knew it was beautiful so I was really sad that I couldn't appreciate the yeah, beauty the from inside it. being in the car yeah you've had the accident you're going through recovery you still went yeah. and traveled then we we did yes. because but okay so by this point so I I had quit my job but Fiona hadn't quit her job yet and then I had this accident and we knew there was no way we could go to the states as planned but I also thought you know first of all winter in the UK is like a bit miserable, miserable. <laughs> and then what's even worse is you know I quit my job so I wasn't actually working and live you know just living in London is very expensive and I just thought you know, I'm not going to spend all this money for rent, you know, renting out a place in London whilst not working, you know, when I could be working. And I said to Fiona, I've got to go somewhere hot, you know. She like was adamant no, not to spend a winter in, in the UK. Again. I just, I just said, I can't, I can't do it. I know we can't travel right now, but I need to go somewhere hot. And, you know, just sort of, even if I knew I couldn't travel around that much, I just needed to be somewhere hot. And, um, yeah, so we had a little chat and then Fiona quit her job. And then we said, okay, we'll spend the whole winter in Southeast Asia 
And uh, hopefully by the time we come back, um, you know, we wanted to go to the US and then see if we can give this a proper go with the bike. Yeah, that's why our trip actually started off with backpacking instead of jumping on the motorbike straight mm-hmm. away. How do you finance this? What is the plan here? Because it doesn't seem like there's an awful lot of time between, well, Sandra, you've been traveling the whole time. So it seems like you've been sort of spending your money traveling the whole time, but it doesn't seem like you had a lot of lead up time before you left on the round the world trip, uh, time to save money, you know? So was there some preparation there or how do you swing it? Okay. So I, I mean, first of all, I worked for 10 years and I guess I had a well-paid job, you know, I saved a lot of money. Um, I was sort of always, well, just looking at the bigger picture. I mean, I have to say, I always knew I wanted to travel and I always thought, how can I make this this happen? And the obvious or most common thing that people do is they save up enough to go traveling for a year and then they go and then they come back and go back to work. Mm-hmm. Or the other thing they do they is they sell, they sell everything they have, which for me is unimaginable. Every time I meet someone and they tell me they sold their house and everything, I feel, I feel like that's really impressive because I couldn't do it. But also when you then come back home, you have to start from zero. And for me, like that was never going to happen. So I was okay to save money for like around the world trip. But I was more thinking, how can I actually um, somehow look at generating small income just to keep me going? Because I knew as soon as I would leave the UK, I would be able to afford to live on very little. And um, I basically bought a property, a flat in in London when I was working, uh, which I was living in at the time. And um, I think, I forgot now when it first happened, but I think Airbnb came about and um, I was I was amazed how much uh, you know this tiny flat in London um, could rent for and I was I was making a lot of money and I thought you know if I actually quit my job and go somewhere really cheap then I can pay someone else is paying off my mortgage but I could actually have enough money just to keep myself on the road so that was my plan that was I was going to finance the round the world trip so I had some savings but I also had a small but steady income from renting out my flat in London and this is um you know sort of been how how I envisaged financing it in the long term without needing to work is that a um does it the Airbnb thing does that work out to you to be a maintenance free no hassle thing for you I mean you just basically leave it in somebody else's hands and and it's handled I have I have to tell you something I actually didn't leave it in anyone's hand I was managing that remotely while we were traveling oh, wow. uh, it was so incredible sometimes and the time we, difference oh, the time difference I mean I think the Philippines was really challenging when we were island hopping and internet was like really hard to get hold of there's been cases in Guatemala where I had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning someone had locked themselves out and you know just like always I was always kind of glued to the phone for Airbnb. And um, there was always um, issues, you know, sort of to solve. But if you give it to somebody else to manage, I think they take about 20% of the profits. Mm. And to me, every penny that this was my only income. So I thought if I can somehow manage this remotely and I just tell people where to drop the key and where to pick it up and tell the cleaners when to come, I just thought, you know, I could I could actually um, do this myself because I was doing it a little bit while I was in London. And then I thought can I actually do this while I'm not here? And it, it worked actually. You made it work. Yeah, I made it work really well. But then obviously the pandemic happened 
and every the cancellations, you know, just all came in at once. And then Airbnb had refunded all of the guests fully whilst leaving me with an empty flat. And I was just thinking, oh my God, I'm going, I really, really thought I'm going to have to like fly back, get a job and somehow cover the mortgage at this time. Um, but I was very lucky because I got a tenant in, didn't make any money with it because that's nowhere near as lucrative as, you know, sort of renting it on Airbnb. But it's, um, yeah, it sort of just saved me from having to come back and, and work. And it's actually only now that I'm getting ready to, to start short letting, which I don't even know if the market has recovered, if the book bookings will come in, but I, I guess we'll, we'll see. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But you, you don't need all that many bookings to make the same as what you're doing, renting it out on a monthly basis then. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it's literally double, and sometimes more than double. Like the difference in in the income. If if I had just rented it out to a tenant, there's no way that I could. Um, I mean, I think I during the pandemic I was just making maybe like a couple of hundred a month, but then you know, then the boiler broke. <laughs> so basically I didn't make any money at all. So it was really just, it's nice knowing that someone else is paying off your mortgage. And in theory, you come back in 30 years time and, you know, your property is paid off. But with Airbnb, it was actually possible to make uh, enough money for me travel. to comfortably travel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're a planner. I mean, and, and you're right. Yeah, you hear it so many times, people will sell everything and some people are comfortable with that, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they don't and mind. I'm, I'm and I am impressed. I mean, it's not for me. And it's definitely not for me. <laughs> but it is impressive, you know, it's impressive because obviously I think traveling, um, then I feel like they have the same sort of desire for traveling. But I, I mean, it puts people under a lot of pressure, I think. Mm -hmm. if like, well, that's how I would feel if, if I'd sold absolutely everything and then just gone. Fiona, how about you for, for money wise? How do you finance um, it? Well, I also have savings, but we always try not to touch our savings in that sense. But I worked again for probably just under 10 years, I'd say, and I bought a house and I rent it out to students. Um, but I've gone the slightly lazier route in the sense of I have an agent <laughs> um, to deal with like referencing for students and stuff like this. It, it just makes my life easier in that sense. I was going to ask you guys what it's like to be, because you, you both sound like you're very, you know, fiscally responsible and, and you're careful. I can, I can tell this by what you're telling me. And I was going to ask what, what it feels like now to have been a saver all those years and now mm -hmm. be spending. But Fiona, you just said you try not to touch your savings. So are, mm -hmm. are you guys trying to live just off of that excess and you're not getting into your savings? Exactly. We haven't actually, I mean, we, we maybe did because, okay, so we, we had, did at the start, we had a monthly budget where we were putting 1,100 hundred pounds each into like sort of a travel kitty. And then it was funny, like some months we were spending um, 400 and we're actually saving within that travel kitty. Yeah. So I think right now there's like 3000 pounds saved because we haven't always spent that much. <laughs> so we basically put in a certain amount each uh, every month and then some months we'll spend a bit more. So at the very start of the trip, we had to buy all the motorbike gear and everything like this. So obviously there was a lot more outgoings in that sense. But then if we slow down, like when we were in Mexico, say we were house sitting for six weeks and I mean, that was incredibly cheap for us. We actually like kind of like saved money in that sense. And then we always try to use the money that we put in the account together. And 
if something comes up like the sailing that we wanted to do in Belize, then we kind of decide and we're like, oh, we're like, oh, we've saved. We haven't actually spent so much in the past few months and then we end up spending it somewhere else. So mm-hmm. it's roughly around that in terms of the budget, but we try not to touch the savings. That's coming from your passive income, the, the money that you're putting in each month. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But like, although we are on a day-to-day basis, so careful with money, if something is expensive, but we want to do it, we don't even have to think about it. You know, we're like, no, we want to, do, to experience this. Or when we were in Belize, we wanted to sail to the <laughs> Blue Hole, which is really expensive and far and difficult to get to. And that was way of, out of our budget, but we knew we would do it because we really wanted to. So it is more being careful on a day-to-day basis. But then if you like, you know, without having to say no to like really nice experiences along the way, I think. Buying the real estate uh, is obviously very smart to do. Obviously it's difficult to buy real estate and, you know, not everyone mm-hmm. can can manage to do it. Do, do you think you guys are lucky the way it worked out with you finance wise, or do you think it's just been that you're always planners? I think I've been very lucky because I um, bought my first apartment with an ex many years ago. I think it was um, 27, now I'm 35. And we bought this apartment, so we sort of got a joint mortgage for it. And 18 months later, we split up. But by that time, the property had gone up in value by 150,000, which, you know, I got a really nice check going out of this relationship. And before that, I had never been able to afford a flat by myself. You know, it's, it's expensive still. I mean, um, but then because, because I got lucky with the value of the properties going up, I could then take that money and invest it into buying a place of my, by myself. And, um, thanks to that, obviously I then sort of, and Airbnb also coming along cause that made a big difference. You know, I've been able to, um, yeah, to, to get myself into this situation because yeah, I had a, I had a good salary and I'm maybe by, by the end of it, I would have eventually been able to, to buy a place, but it was definitely a really nice head start, you know, being in that situation at quite a young age. Uh, I say, I say Sandra's more lucky than I am. I don't think so. (laughs) I'm more, I guess I have planned and like, I've always been very good with money from like a young age and stuff like this is like, is very strangely good with money. Like I'd always want to save and stuff like this, but I knew that I wanted to get a property because I, well, in general, I thought it would be a good um, injection in terms of uh, a bit of money coming in from somewhere else. Basically, what you guys have set up here is that you're actually getting a little bit more money than it costs you, or you manage to keep your travel mm-hmm. under your mm-hmm. your your mm-hmm. income rather, and you're going to come out of it fine because when you go back, you still have a place to live. In fact, you've increased your assets because they've been paid yeah, for while you've been gone. Yeah. So I mean, it's sort of like the perfect travel setup. It's only the perfect travel setup if you don't want to live a life of luxury. Because I have so many friends who just would not camp. And who would not, uh, I know, eat tuna sweet corn pasta, <laughs> like right. three, four and I will, nights in a row. <laughs> I will say that I'm a lot more flexible on this than Fiona. Oh, like, for sure. like I can, you know, I have very low standards when I travel. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, we don't stay in dorm rooms or in, in hostels, but we just rent like the cheapest room we can get. 
but sometimes Fiona would be like, hmm. <laughs> it makes for very good memories. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And, and this, that sort of reflects what you did before you went on the, uh, on this trip in particular is it's, it's being diligent about not spending everything that you've got. Like even still, mm-hmm. even though you're like, you're saying you could afford a little bit better place, but you tend not to do it and have that little bit extra money. So it's, it's that, um, I think it's that mindset that will probably, you know, really help someone if, they, if they're thinking about doing something like that. But also if I, if I wasn't like that, then when the pandemic hit, I would have been so caught out. After the year that you spent Sandra's accident, then you, you, you were, I think it was roughly a year that you left the bike in storage. How are you feeling when you went back to the States and get ready to get on this bike physically? I think physically, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it would like um, hurt a little because I sometimes had <laughs> I had some struggles walking up the hill. Sometimes didn't I? Like, it yeah, was, like all the time. It's like sometimes when it got really steep, I had to like go up backwards. So it was really crap sideways. It, it oh, was, wow. it, you know, and I just thought mm, I'm not sure about this. It was a little bit better, but I mean, this was um, during the winter that we were in Asia, and then you know I did a lot of physio every day, so I. I wasn't like in, in daily pain or anything like that, but I just wasn't sure how comfortable I'd feel. And um, the other thing is that I'm, well, I was terrified of gravel and I'd never ridden on gravel before. <laughs> and then, you know, as soon as I picked up the bike, I had to sort of drive it out of this really, really long um, driveway. Yeah, driveway, which was essentially like this this long gravel road. And I think, oh, it took me forever to come oh, out of <laughs> I was actually, I was actually pillion on someone else's bike, the person who she bought the bike off. And um, we rode down the uh, driveway and I was like, oh yeah, it's so nice to be on the motorbike. And I turned around and I was like, where's Sandra? And I was like, oh no, are you okay? Because like... It, and it took it me a while, so it took me a while to actually come around the corner and I just thought, oh, this is really uncomfortable, you know, let alone with somebody and the luggage. And um, yeah, it was... I, I felt I found it really intimidating to get back on the bike for sure. Now, now you're for talking sure. about the the bike itself felt uncomfortable. Wasn't you physically then? Oh yeah, sorry. No, I, I was okay. I mean, I, I was a bit like cautious because you know, like if you have an injury somewhere. I'm, even now, I'm thinking, you know, Fiona doesn't mind if she like comes off the bike and she does that a lot. <laughs> like doesn't seem to scare her. But I do, I do have like this sort of fear of coming off the bike, which she doesn't have, you know, because I think I don't want to. But the difference is that you have had an accident, so that's not unusual. Yeah, yeah it, always, so, it does hang with you for a while. How long ago was that that you had the accident? 2018. So that was 2018, yeah. yeah. Does, does it still, does, do you still have that feeling of a bit of fragility or concern about that? No, I think that's okay. But I definitely, I definitely feel like I don't want to come off the bike. And you know, when you're yeah. riding off-road, it's good if you feel like, if I come off, that's all right, you know, and that's when you don't like when you lose that fear. But I'm definitely a lot more cautious where I very rarely drop the bike because I just won't go over and be on my comfort zone. And I'm realizing that now with Fiona, I mean, she has only just passed her license and I cannot keep up with her <laughs> at all, be it on the road or off the road. And I mean, I, I've seen her like crash, you know, during this winter where I'm thinking, like and then she just like gets back up on it like nothing. She doesn't happens. see me crash actually. No, but she just so, it so far ahead. I, I've seen I've seen a few though, but it's it's um yeah. And then she'll just it doesn't scare her, you know. Then she's like, oh okay, so I'm okay when I come off, you know. And I I, I definitely have a bit of oh, don't 
prefer not to come off, you know. And I, I think it's very different when someone else is involved in in an accident. Is I I don't say that when I've come off a bike as an accident. It's kind of like I mean, I I've dropped the bike essentially. Um, I think it's very different when you're involved in an accident with somebody else, like the crash that you had. And actually, the the, yeah. the biggest impact for me is that I'm. Yeah, fear. I have fear. Of, I'm not very good in, in, in traffic. You know, like I might be, I'm just driving and there is someone on the other side. So like when someone comes near to the white line, you know, obviously it's just the case in Europe because in <laughs> Central America or South America, you know, no, no one rides like that. But I, when, when people are not where they should be on the road. I constantly have a fear that they'll cut me off or, you know, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of friends who have had also had on collisions. And I think it's very, very common that after such an accident, you sort of have this fear, but I definitely feel like it's affecting my cornering a lot because, um, whenever we, I'm sort of like, it's very uncomfortable to lean into a corner, not knowing what's around the corner and thinking what, like, I always think like, what's it, what if someone is stuck there and suddenly have to put the brakes on, you know, yeah. because last time I rode into something and it really does hold me back. And, um, and it's, I mean, it's, you've, you've just gotten better though. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a, a, a bit flinchy on, on the road, but not to the extent where I'm not enjoying the ride. You know, I just, I definitely, um, like I don't ride faster than I need to, you know, and I love riding off road, but at the same time, I don't push myself the way like Fiona does because I always feel like I just want to ride what I'm comfortable riding, you know, and then slowly the confidence is going to build. Whereas Fiona is just going to throw herself in it at the deep end and then come, come it's not, out of it's it not being a better a good idea. Then, so. Yeah, but Fiona's a bit of an adrenaline junkie, right? Yeah, for yeah, sure. So she's, she's I, I've, always, I've always been an adrenaline junkie, so I kind of knew I was going to be like this. And I mean, the first time I ever got on a little dirt bike was when Sandra just picked up the bike and uh, someone had organized. Oh, no, no. Let me, let me tell from my perspective. (laughs) I, so the guy I bought my GS from had a friend in Idaho who was doing an off-road training. These guys were all training for the GS trophy, but what they were doing is they wanted to like, um, split the cost of renting, like the, the area, you know, the, the, dirt track and stuff and um we basically rode out to idaho and it was like a free warm-up training with everyone you know and it was just like a bunch of friends that had come together to train and um you know it was my first time sort of getting used to gravel and stuff and fiona wasn't riding because so, i've never been on a scooter in my life at that point never been on a and then anything. <laughs> and then Lance, who was um, basically, you, you know, organizing the, the training with, with his friends and everyone, offered her the Kawasaki dirt bike of his, of his son, right? Yeah, he yeah. was only 12, the son. And I was like, oh, cool. And Fiona could like touch the ground. And we had just sh- like showed her how to go like from first to second gear. And she was just like not not doing much just going in circles and then like we lost sight of her like and I was like where's Fiona and she went to the obstacle course where the guys were training for the GS trophy and comes flying out of this ditch and going over this this big and I was just like wow like she I I didn't feel comfortable doing that and she had that was the first time ever that she had been on a bike and she just like decided to 
to have a go at the obstacle course. You know? I just, I, yeah, but I didn't complete all of the, the obstacles like well. I mean, I came off the bike quite a few times. Yeah, but it's not, it's not about doing it well. It's the fact that you, you just did them. And I, I was even too scared to just, you know, sort of go over a few bumpy, sandy hills, you know. And there's Fiona um, coming, flying out of ditches and doing all awesome. I was on a baby bike though in comparison. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it does illustrate the point when it comes to motorcycling that, um, and we hear this with our rider skills program all the time, it, confidence is huge. You know, if you don't have confidence, even if you yeah. know how to do it, even if, if you've practiced the skills, it's not going to happen for you if you don't go in mm-hmm. with that confidence. And and you yeah. look at a ditch or something you're going through, and if you have the skills, you have to be confident. You have to know mm-hmm. that you're going through it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's really illustrated in that story. And that, that's interesting. Where, where'd you guys get to on the bike? So you get the F800, you ride it down this gravel, gravel driveway. Obviously it's very uncomfortable. It's a big bike, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to be your first adventure bike. Where do you get to? What happens? So from there, our plan was um, to go up to Alaska and then go to Patagonia. But obviously our original plan was before the accident, um, to be there in to be August. there in August, but it was now was it March or May? It was. It was way at too the very start of May. <laughs> so we just got to Vancouver and we couch surfed with a couple of bikers and we told them that we were going up to Banff National Park and they said first they said do you have heated gear and we said no and they said there's a snowstorm there's no way you're going to make it dressed like that and uh, we said oh and we were like well we wanted to go to Alaska and they said no way they, <laughs> they just had a really bad winter it was like worse than usual and so we actually never made it up I, I mean it was I was actually quite embarrassed because like as I as you know I've I've traveled quite a lot and I, I do my research, you know, normally when I go, but the guy who was selling me the bike, um, he, you know, I sort of used him a lot for, you, you know, he, he basically knew what our situation was and he'd been to Alaska before and I said, oh, okay. So um, he said, come down so you can go to the Overland Expo. It'll be a nice experience before your big trip and then you'll go up to Alaska. And I kind of just sort of trusted that it's possible to go up to Alaska because he, he said so, but <laughs> but I was very, very wrong. And um, you, you and we only realized this in Vancouver. So it was a bit sad because it was at the very beginning of our trip and we realized we couldn't get to Alaska, which was sort of the symbolic start of our trip, you know. And then um, the bikers we were with, I mean, they, I think we must have looked very sad, but also we got on with them really well. And they said, look, wait till the weekend, because we were just meant to stay one night. They said, stick around until the weekend, and then we'll take you all across British Columbia. We'll go wine tasting. We'll go across Okanagan and do some nice riding together. And then you can head back to the US and then we'll just come back and that will be Canada for you or what you can do right now. And from that point, um, obviously we had a time restriction as well, um, just because we could only spend three months and then, and then we started heading south from there. So we spent three months, um, Yeah, in the US, mostly on the West Coast, um, because we bought the bike in Oregon and then we sort of, um, yeah, did did a lot of stuff. Yeah, on the, I should say West States because we didn't stick to the coast at all. And then after that, we we crossed over to Mexico, um, spent a really, I think we didn't realize how big Mexico was. We probably spent five months in Mexico and I would have loved to spend more time. And I was really, really surprised just like how big it is and how much there is to do and to see and it was really really beautiful to explore by motorbike and then um, from there the rest of the time we basically yeah cross Central America and and um, 
by the time we had sailed from Panama to Colombia, that was around the same time that really the pandemic, re- I mean, I don't want to say the pandemic hit because it probably hit before, but where it really it started. Hit before, but that was uh, when, I guess, around in Central America, South America, where they were like m- more concerned about it because we just got, well, we just arrived into Colombia and we weren't allowed to get off the sailboat um, until someone came on to check every single person where everyone had been within the last few months. And uh, we thought that there was a possibility that we weren't we weren't going to be able to go on land actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so you took the stall route. Is that what you're talking about? Oh no, we wish we had. The stall route was only going to Cuba at the time, so they weren't doing that route. Really wish we would have gone. We've gone. Is it called wild wild card? Wild card yeah. It, it wasn't the same experience, but it was the only thing available to us at the time. And you you didn't want to fly it, or was that just not available? I think, I mean, it was all about, for me, it was all about the zero air miles, I have to say. And also the idea of sailing with the motorbike seemed quite cool at the time. And the sunblast islands. I mean, why would you, why would you fly if you can spend a little bit less money and see these amazing islands, which, you know, are not that easily accessible? Um, by the way, it was a horrendous sailing trip. And I, I don't know if I, I, I wouldn't do it again ever, but at the it was time, an experience what do you mean? What happened on the oh my trip? gosh, it was, you know, we, okay. So like, you know, when you travel and then you sort of, um, we knew of some other riders that were sort of one or two months ahead of us. And so we could like message them and be like, oh, how did you do this crossing? Or just ask them about bits. And we had a like couple of people who'd done this crossing just before us, people that we sort of met on the road and we chatting to and they said you know we said how bad is it and they said you know it can get a bit rough but you know you you'll be fine you'll be fine in the end everyone will be fine I mean I have never been so seasick in my life I was puking my guts out but not just me every single person on the boat except three people was were throwing up constantly so we and it was a very small boat and we were all like squished together throwing up next to each other it was really quite horrible and Uh, and then and then Fiona and I were one of the only people or or the only people who had a private cabin because we booked so far in advance (laughs) that we asked that we could have it and you know everyone paid the same price and we were just I mean the boat was rocking we're just going from one side to another um it it was it was and then I remember when I was sick the first time uh was it on day two no it was day one (laughs) day one sorry and and I said oh my god how much longer and it was 42 hours of non-stop sailing on the open sea and you know what we didn't even have bad weather conditions so this was just like (laughs) a regular journey Mm. so I can't even imagine what it would be like but maybe we're just very sensitive no I, I wasn't actually physically sick I was just nauseous for the three four days or wherever it was and um I, I thought oh I haven't seen Sandra for a while and this is the first day and I was like feeling nauseous I was out on the deck but I thought oh, I better go check on her and I went to check and she was on the back of the boat literally like hanging on the outside just like throwing up but I can deal with everything like that pain and stuff like this but the one thing I really can't deal with and the only time I feel very sorry for myself is when I'm sick and always someone else is sick nauseous so I was, yeah I think yeah, that's me too it's, it, that's the worst I just can't handle worst. that and, and so I, I go up to Sandra and she's like throwing up on the side of the boat and I'm just like oh, are you okay and she goes Ugh. and I was like and I stay there for maybe a few minutes and she turns to me and she goes you don't have to stay I was like okay thank you I think, I, I, said, I, think I said you can go now <laughs> it is sort of a personal experience isn't it <laughs> no yeah, one can I mean, do anything to comfort you or not much <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I would never do this again. And I also, uh, I mean, it was terrible for the bike. I, way worse than I could have. I mean, I would not recommend for anyone to put their bike through this. But also, I said, it has put me off. I don't know that I'll ever. I mean, I like being on a sailing board kind of for the day, you know, if you can like see land and uh, just like, you know, get a tan and relax and maybe have a drink. But I don't know that I'll ever, ever go on like a proper sailing trip again. It's really put me off. We just don't have sea legs, basically. <laughs> and then, and whilst we were on that journey, we basically said, we're never going sailing again. Mm. <laughs> and we so, paid so, so much it, money for it as well. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so it seemed like a great idea, you know, to experience that with your bike, but now you'll fly next time? Well, you know, I can't say that because, um, I mean, I wouldn't do like these really long crossings um, that people do um, from one continent to to another in, in that sense. I think at the time, what was really, what I really want, I wanted this zero air miles journey from Alaska to Patagonia. And that's also why when the pandemic hit, um, Fiona had flown home and I just sort of decided to just like stick it out in Colombia until she can come back. You know, I was like zero air miles, well, zero always, air miles. I always find that um, But next time, I mean, I would definitely fly in between continents, but if, if I can... Um, it's just that ferry crossings on open sea. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm thinking I, of the think, Darien Gap. I'm, I'm thinking the next time you go to the Darien Gap, will, will you even consider it? Oh, I wouldn't do it again. No, no, no way. So you, no, you'll, that you'll would be crazy. <laughs> the the Sandblast Islands are stunning. It, they were really beautiful, but uh, they would have been even more beautiful if we weren't seasick. <laughs> yeah, so no way. <laughs> did you get to, did you make your, yourself, your way all the way down to, to, to the end, Tierra del Fuego? No, because we only, we only, so like getting off the boat was kind of difficult they were asking a lot of questions but in the end we could all get off and then um we were basically spent a few days in cartagena in you know just where we uh, where the ferry boat came in from and that was beautiful but then we were really running against time because i mean fiona was actually always meant to go home for I was four weeks back home, um because it was my best friend's wedding and stuff like this and i mm. said i'm not going home i'm gonna wait for you and i booked an airbnb in bogota for a month and i thought i'm just gonna like learn spanish and hang out here and see if i could do some off-road training so it was very lucky because during the pandemic it was very hard for europeans to get into a hotel and I because Fiona had this flight booked we basically rushed um, very quickly down to Bogota and we mm -hmm. said when she'll come back we'll do the rest of Colombia but then when, by the time she left which was just the, a few days I, later yeah the day I flew out actually I flew out with 10 minutes to spare on the on Colombia going into lockdown but I also flew into lockdown for the UK yeah oh. um and meanwhile, I was basically in this um, apartment that I'd rented for a month, you know, in, in Colombia. And um, initially I thought, okay, I, I mean, I was always going to be there for a month, but I thought, I thought, oh, okay, maybe it'll take three months, you know, this pandemic, whatever. <laughs> so I thought I actually had in mind to, to wait it out for three months, but then the landlord was a bit greedy and like raising the price all of a sudden. And I thought, well, then I might as well go home and visit my parents. And, um, and we so, actually always thought we were going to return. And that's why we've left absolutely everything we had out there. And it's all still there. <laughs> it's everything is still there. Our climb adventure gear, our helmets, um, every, everything that we, the only things that we took home were the things we didn't want to keep. Didn't want. Mm -hmm. So all our things are still there. Including your F800. Actually, I'll tell you something funny. So I sold it 
um, when, when was that? Maybe a year later, after like a year into yeah. the pandemic, I would say, because I realized that it's really bad to just like keep a bike and like not have any maintenance on it. No one's riding it. And I thought, you know what, just sell, sell this bike um, because we didn't know when we'd be back. But I was just worried about having the, the bike just there. And the guy who bought it, who's an American guy traveling around, he still hasn't picked it up. What you guys did find or did discover there was you, you sort of fell in love with the area of, of Central America. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. So we re okay. So for us, Central America was just sort of let's say, the gateway to getting to South America, right? We were super excited about the US and we were so excited about a bunch of stuff we wanted to see in South America and, and, and Central America was just in the middle. And there were, you know, a couple of things that we thought might be nice. Like, you know, we knew about, um, the Mayan temples um, in Guatemala of Tikal and we thought oh yeah that's a nice stop and you know we we knew we wanted to spend a little bit of time maybe in Costa Rica but we but didn't there was nothing that really like stood out for us in terms of things to to see you know it was just like in when we spoke to people it just felt like people were just sort of um, South America and just riding through it you know and like really quickly and and no one no one could tell us so much about it so we didn't get so excited and then what we found is that we've really, really, I mean, it was such a huge highlight of a trip exploring cen um, Central America. And I mean, we... And we, we kept falling in love with different places and, and always to our surprise because we didn't expect anything from the countries. And there were so many highlights. I mean, for, like I've seen so many things that I have never seen anywhere else on my travels, which are very unique to, you know, Central America, which I just thought, wow like i like it, it really it really like was a really lovely like a lot of really nice memories and and i think a lot of people are also a little bit of apprehensive about spending too much time in central america like um, a lot of people are scared about the safety and security sort of traveling through central america as well and um we just felt like we really wanted to take our time and we did and we spent a lot of time in each of the countries some of them we would have liked to spend even longer yeah. but we definitely felt that it was like a little like a little gem that's often you know overlooked by by travelers when they sort of rush through it and then just want to get as quickly as possible to to south america where do you where did you explore that you feel that most people pass it by um, you mean where, like, I like mean, countries. a lot of, okay. So a lot of, I mean, they, um, I mean, obviously they need to drive through them, right. In order of to course, get to yeah. them. But as an example, um, a lot of people ride through Honduras as quickly as they can, because, you know, doesn't have the best reputation, let's say, and, and they wouldn't necessarily look at spending any time in El Salvador and, when we researched it, we were also like, nah, yeah, they've got volcanoes, but we've seen amazing volcanoes like Guatemala. in Guatemala and, and we're going to see amazing volcanoes in Nicaragua. So we weren't that fussed about it. And then they've got stunning lakes. But again, the surrounding countries have maybe even more beautiful lakes that we felt like, is it really worth spending that much time in there? And then what we found is um, in El Salvador was that Everyone was so pleased and to see us. People would be like really appreciative that we made the effort to like see El Salvador because they constantly like, because people just pass it and, and, and the locals would, I mean, we felt so, 
I don't know that I've ever experienced that, but they were like so excited about showing us their country and that we felt like that we wanted to spend some time and seeing it. And um, it was it was such a nice experience. The people were just so, so nice and friendly that I think that's often overlooked. Is that what it was? It was mainly the people, the, your experience with, with how they accepted you as seeing tourists? I, yeah, I, I will say when it, yeah, for El Salvador, I remember that like no one welcomed us so warmly and being so like just know, keen Guatemala to, and Honduras. No, I mean, they were, no, they were so nice everywhere. But I think in El Salvador, I'll give you an example. We were doing the, um, is it called the, you, you know, the Ruta de Flores? I don't know the English word for it, but it's, it's just like this very, um, one of the most popular things to do is to, to ride around this um, beautiful road. And so we were like on this road trip exploring it. And we stopped at this restaurant that was known for having like lots of beautiful flowers and outdoor space. And it was sort of a, a popular stop. And as we pulled into the um into the parking they said oh we're we're actually close and I said oh no and the owner happened to walk past and when he realized that we wanted to come in he opened it up for us he gave us a private tour (laughs) and then he basically gave us coffee and dessert and everything and he would refuse payment for it and ask us if we needed a place to stay yeah and that was just sort of one of our first experiences this is El Salvador yeah, yeah, but that was, and, and this was just like the, the owners of, of that restaurant that realized that, you know, we'd come a bit too late and, and they'd shut, but he wanted us to experience it. And he's like, you need to try this local speciality and which wouldn't take any money from us. And they were just like so kind. But then, um, and then also I, what was interesting is when we were in Mexico, we were couch surfing at, at one point and, um, the mother of the people that were, were hosting us was from El Salvador and we met her so briefly and we said oh we'll be crossing El Salvador and she's like please come and stay at my house when you do so shortly before we arrived in El Salvador I reached out um, to this couch surfing house and I said can you give me your mom's details I'd love to take her up on the offer she welcomed us like family didn't she I mean she opened up her home she was I mean it was she was so excited that we'd made it down there but it was showing us around which was and like every every interactions we had with local people were just like they were so excited and and they did also openly say it that you know people are sort of um scared and I mean, I will say that out of all the places we visited, I mean, everyone there has a gunshot, right? I mean, just... Yeah, just we were like riding through the mountains and like in the middle of nowhere, there'll be a guy holding God knows what gun But you was, just get used to it, you know, that's, I mean, that's just like every... You, you didn't feel every, threatened with that though? No, 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 I mean, it's everywhere. Like every, everyone's got, like every shot's got someone... Because it was like in the most randomest places, but then... Uh, it was fine. But then, I mean, so I can see how it can be a little bit intimidating, but then, but, but then people were just, and I'm not saying they weren't friendly in other countries. I'm just saying they were so delighted that you made the time to see their country. They, they'd give so much of themselves to sort of make you welcome and show you around. And we actually, I remember felt like we, we wish we could have spent, um, a little bit more time just, just cause it was like so nice to, to be welcomed in that way. 
At one point when we've been talking, I think, I think you said something about, um, one of you said something about sort of transitioning into slower travel. It, it might've been you, Fiona, that yeah. said something about transitioning into slower travel. When does that happen for you guys? Like, do you guys start off traveling kind of fast in the U.S. and then sort of slow down as you get into Central we, America? We had that to in happens? the U.S. because yeah, we, only in the had, US, we only had 90 days and actually less because we took some of those days to go to Canada. And uh, we were actually losing more days because actually we spent some time in Canada and we were moving every day, I think, Mm -hmm. because we wanted to see so much and there's so much to see in the US. And I will also say to the point where we didn't enjoy being on the bike that much. I mean, it was really exhausting and we were just like running against time and it felt like we were just like taking off places to see and things to do because we just wanted to take, we wanted to ride as many roads and take in as many impressions and do as many things as we could. And it was stunning, but it was, I mean, when you're traveling so fast, it, it becomes tiring because, you know, you have to pack up your bike every single day, unpack it every single day and stuff like this. And, and is that important to do with the distance? I mean, you know, the US is, it's big, right? Canada's mm, big. Yes. So everything everything's far apart yes exactly this and um when we got into mexico i mean i remember saying like we we must travel slower for for us to enjoy it you know and 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 we both prefer slower travel as well now you guys are riding two bikes now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so fiona you got your license and and you're obviously very comfortable on your motorcycle Yes, I'm enjoying being on two bikes, actually. And it was quite funny because everyone we've met on the road, um, if they've seen me on on a bike, they're saying, oh, you're immediately going to get your license and then you'll never be on the back of a bike again. Uh, like, oh, you'll never be pillion again. And I said, oh, actually, I really do enjoy being pillion. And people find that a little bit crazy mm. because I truly do enjoy being on the back of Sandra's bike. Um, I find it really fun. Um, even though she's scared off-road, I still find it really fun. Um, I find it more fun, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even though I have a license now, I love, love, love riding. There's no question about it. But I would also happily jump on the back of Sandra's bike um, still and still enjoy it. Now, when you guys, uh, you're, you're in the UK, as you said now, you're sort of waiting things out. What's the plan now? So first of all, the reason we came here is because Fiona needs to spend three months um, in the UK before we can leave again. So that's going to be taking us to the 1st of May. And then we'll be heading back to Germany and um, starting basically the next leg of our trip, which will be, um, we're actually planning to leave on the 27th of May from the Turatec headquarters in Germany and then starting our trip to Africa from there. And, and this is still open-ended? There, there's no, yes. there's yeah, no deadline? Yes, still open-ended. I mean, to be honest, we even said, because we were really hung up on Africa, but then we were um, thinking it might be easier to just like, sort of go to India first because we know that the borders are open and we could get there. But I think we... They've just, got a temporary 30-day visa thing going on right now. So I don't know if that would change, but uh, we, basically we know that we'll be on the road and there'll be... No end date, mm. so to say, but our route will probably change. Uh, our plans tend to change day to day. 
But I mean, at least for, for the next few years, what we want to do is because Fiona and I always said that, I mean, I know a lot of people transport their bike from continent to continent, but we always said from the very beginning that we won't do that because we'll just like every continent we get to, we'll get a bike and then when we're done, we'll sell it and then we get a new one. So because we... Um, are going to be leaving from Germany. We basically want to avoid any, I mean, major sort of ferry costs or, you know, more than ferry, just like transporting to another continent. So the plan is more or less to go anywhere we can overland without having to ship the bikes. So you ultimately may end up in South Africa then sell the bike and sell mm-hmm. bikes rather. And, th- oh, and no, then- we would, n- no, no. I mean, after, uh, after, let's say if we did make it to Cape Town, we'd come uh, back up again, go to India. And then, you know, because as long as we can ride, that's okay for us. You know, we just don't want to have to like, um, have to transport the bike to another continent. Is that an environmental thing that you, the reason you don't want to do that? Oh no, that's just saving money. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, much, <laughs> I mean, it's much more practical than that. I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. We've got time. Yeah, I mean, we, we have time. But I mean, do you know, it costs such an enormous amount of money to um, actually, especially now during the pandemic. I mean, the prices have gone up so much. I don't, I mean, I, yeah, but in, in general, if you just like, I get it, maybe, well, I don't know. It's just so expensive. We have two bikes now. If we wanted to ship those bikes now to Colombia and continue where we left off, just have to ship them back again. I mean, that would just cost an arm and a leg. So, yeah, so we just wouldn't be doing that right now. So will you return to South America? For sure. Yeah, we will. But right now we've we've got bikes here. So we'll continue from here. And at the end of the day, we want to see everywhere and and it just makes sense to sort of change our route right now and say we'll come back to south america later right. yeah it's just a matter of when really sandra in what ways have you changed personally from before when you were traveling to now as a motorcyclist i mean it's hard because i've always always traveled right and and i do think it changes you but i i i think it's definitely very different the way that we travel now, but in terms of how that maybe impacts you or changes you, you know, being more open-minded and you have to be a lot more patient a lot of the time when you travel and realize that, you know, things sort of operate in a different way in different countries. But, um, yeah, I, I think I, I can't say so that I've really feel like it drastically. I think I just feel... Honestly, I feel grateful every single day that we are able to do this. Um, I don't take it for granted. And I, I always, you know, I always feel we are so lucky, you know, even if we're like in a crappy little hotel somewhere, <laughs> or like Fiona's saying, why, why are we here right now? I think, I think I really, I wake up really grateful and, and, and happy that we are able to do this. Fiona, how about you? You know, do you feel that you've changed somewhat becoming the motorcycle traveler? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I think in terms of what I would have wanted traveling and going on holidays before was very different. I mean, like I said, like I, like I explained, it was like short holidays and, you know, it was more planned. Um, you know, everything was more organized and stuff like this. And I mean, I came to learn it very quickly at the start when we were backpacking in Asia that, you know, that that's going to change. Like we're not going to know our day-to-day plans as much, We just roughly. And for sure, I have changed in terms of like 
I will always like a plan. I, I, yes. I think it just naturally comes to me. I, I like this. Uh, I'm a bit more organized, but I have definitely relaxed into the freedom of just adapting and like kind of just like getting lost and, and, and the plans will change and, and to be okay with that. And, and I'm happy with that. And that has changed hugely because I mean, at the very start, like Sandra was saying, I mean, I was like, I was like stressed. I was like, Oh, we need to book a hotel. We need to book a hotel at the very start. But now it's like, uh, I find it really relaxing, even though we don't know where we're staying <laughs> on the day or, or if we wake up in the morning and we've like spoken about a plan the night before and then someone we've just met I don't know and mm. the parking lot has said oh that you should do this and then it will change our plan completely for the day and and that's really like freeing I think and, and that has changed a lot for me. I also have to add that after backpacking so, for so many years, when I see a backpacker, I always think like, oh, they have to carry all that on their back, poor things. <laughs> I mean, I really, I, every time I pass a backpacker, I think like, gosh, we used to have to carry all our things. You feel sorry for them. You feel like you should yeah. stop and tell them. Tell you, yeah, this is what think, you're missing. I think I just have back pain if I had continued to backpack. I don't know. <laughs> Sandra, Fiona, it was just great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for Thank having you us. For having us. Yeah. Lovely to speak to you as well. That was Sandra Stelliga and Fiona Cheng from their temporary space in the UK while they get ready to head back out on the road and continue the ride for who knows how long. Their website is advtravelbug.com. Of course, that link, as well as some photos that they've given us to post in the show notes there. They're all on our website at adventureriderradio.com in the show notes for this episode. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course to you. Thank you very much for listening and being a part of this. Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We would love to get your support. Drop by the website AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support. Anything $10 or more will get you a sticker for your toolbox, your pannier, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets a shout out on our Raw show that comes out each month and another one is about to come out um, in, in just a, a matter of days right now. And the other thing we, we would love it if, if you could do, whether you're supporting or not, one way to support the show would be to go wherever you find your, your podcast, in particular iTunes would be great, and give us a five-star review. We, we would love to get that from you. We'd appreciate it greatly. Share it with your friends on, on social media as well. Um, that would be another way. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. I really hope you can get out there and do some riding. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. from Woody's Wheelworks and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 